Week three of the Wheel and Jord sponsored giveaway, and I don't know about anyone else, but I am craving some Wheel and Jord food and coffee badly. I can't wait until Sam and the team can provide me with some of their speciality coffee because the stuff at home just isn't up to standard. This week's giveaway includes one 8 ounce glass keep cup and one 12 ounce glass keep cup. Perfect for when you're on the hoof and you need to get a Wheel and Jord hit. You can bring it in to the coffee shop and get a coffee to go. Look out for how to enter, and as always, a big thank you for your ongoing support and enjoy the episode. Cheers. Okay, a big welcome to this episode of Wind Your Neck In. A very warm welcome to Nick Mullins, for whom many, many of us sports fans will recognise his voice immediately. So a big welcome to Wind Your Neck In, Nick. Thanks very much, Niall. It's great to be with you. Great to chat. Great to see somebody beyond my own four walls. Exactly. That's the thing. We're all going a bit crazy. So any opportunity we get to chat, <laughs> even through a laptop, is good. But I suppose it's a bit of a strange old setup for us here because normally the rules are slightly reversed, aren't they? I'm looking forward to this. I'm looking forward <laughs> to your killer questions and me Ooh. evading them. Actually, yeah. I should say that you never evade them. You, you know, we kind of have a have a list of those on BT Sport who were, you know, who we love to talk to. Uh, you know, and I'm not going to blow sunshine up your backside, but you know, you're always one of those. You, you're always good at very at, at answering questions. So I'm, I'm I'm looking forward to answering some some of you. Yeah, yeah. I hope uh, we're looking really forward to it as well. I actually spent a great couple of hours thinking about the angle that we're going to attack this, and I suppose it's a bit different to the couple of the other episodes we've done in the build up to this. Um, but it's a great angle we're going to get insight on. And I suppose off the back of what you've just said, one of the best for me at answering questions really honestly, even when he was playing, and you might have way more insight than I do, was Ronan O'Gara for me. I could listen to him talk all day. Do you know, he reminds me a little bit of, um, of Roy Keane in that uh, A, really doesn't care who he upsets with what he says. And what he says is very often right. I love, I love listening to Ronan. I'm sure he's going to go into coaching once he's done with La Rochelle. And I, I, you know, he's doing that perfectly, isn't he? For, for any player... Who, who is keen on coaching. Uh, I'd imagine that what Ronan has done, the way he's done it, get out of Ireland, experience different cultures, go down to, to New Zealand. The way he's done it has, has been the textbook way and he will be a brilliant coach. But yeah, he's one of those names. Whenever BT, ITV are having brainstorming sessions about who to use, Ronan's always on the list. He is amazing. Absolutely. I'm desperate to get him on because I think just, I could sit and listen to him all day. And I know like we had Donica on and Donica's of the same mold and you know, all the guests have been really, really good. So I suppose uh, let's, let's just start with the here and now. I mean, we've discussed it briefly before we started recording, but isolation is, is difficult for everybody. But as a sportsman, it's particularly difficult because I can't operate at my, my full-time job. You obviously spend all your the majority of your time narrating and commentating and broadcasting off the back of what we do in in all sports. So how are you finding it? Uh, well, we we uh, actually got clobbered by it right at right at the start. Uh, we are three weeks now out of isolation. Me and my wife, Melissa. Um, so so initially, it was just dealing with what we assume was was the coronavirus, although. Um, you know, without going into the politics of it all, none of us who think that we might have had it without being tested know for absolute sure. But a lot of us on the BT Sport production team have certainly picked it up. And I guess it was one of the, the hazards of what we do. We're, we're, we're going to rugby matches, big crowds all the time, doing a lot of traveling around the country. So we, we, we picked it up middle of March uh, and it, it takes you out the game for, yeah. for you know... Uh, a week, a weekend passed by without me being awake. Really, I'm sure you've spoken to people who who think they might have had it. So actually, initially, um, as much as we're missing the work, it was just about trying to get better uh, and dealing with the effects of COVID-19. Um, 
and yeah it, it, it knocks you off your feet it really does absolutely it's it seems very difficult for a lot of people but i mean um you're you're going to be trying to keep busy so i suppose is there an element of um trying to get out of the house trying to keep fit trying to keep healthy i know off the other side of that you've been doing some really cool stuff with bt sport which i've actually really enjoyed and um, uh, some of, yeah, we'll some of the that, old yeah. rugby games you've been commenta- commentating on with some of the people who actually played in it one that stood out for me was the gloucester leicester final in 07 because for a start there was a couple of names in there who are like household and you know one of which for me, Mev Davies, was obviously on the bench for, oh, uh, for yeah. Gloucester that day. Um, yeah. and, and it was great to have Ben Kay actually give an insight into that game as well. Yeah, well, it was one of the things that, that BT were very keen on when, when we lost the live rugby element. Um, they wanted to uh, provide, it's, it's easy enough just to rerun old matches and people will watch that for a while. But actually, part of our remit is to provide fresh stuff. And I actually came up with the idea that, that there are so many classic games in the archives, in our archives, we have access to the Premiership going back 20 years, access yeah. to all the old Heineken Cup matches. And I thought how much fun it would be to watch those old games uh, sitting next to the people who were actually playing in them. So we had Ben Kay uh, playing for Leicester against Gloucester. We had Austin Healy. Austin was brilliant. If you, if you only have time to listen to one, listen to Austin on Stade Francais against Leicester in 2001 in Paris. Okay. He, was, he was fantastic. Uh, and then this week, me and uh, Brian O'Driscoll did uh, Leinster Munster. Do you remember that yeah. semi-final at Croke Park? Absolutely. In classic. 2009, which, which was actually probably the game where Leinster really started to, to punch at their European weight. Yeah, yeah, that is probably like a flashbulb memory for me because I had just left school that year. I vividly remember sitting and watching that game. So getting that insight from those guys is is such a different aspect. Really clever angle. I really, really enjoyed it. And like I said, you know, nice to see our scrum coach Mev actually putting the boots on and getting stuck into a few people. You forget how good he was. Yeah, well, we were we were looking at Bernard Jackman. Um, yes. Uh, this this week, it, it, it'll it'll uh, it'll you know, when it goes out, you, you you'll see Bernard Jackman, and actually, so many players. Clearly, Ronan was playing. Uh, Dricko was saying that he's, he'd be amazed if Johnny Sexton doesn't go into coaching one day. So many players on both sides. Mike Prendergast, the the, the monster scrum half, uh, who's now in Paris. But it's 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 a bizarre setup because obviously, as you know, when we're commentating on matches, we're there. Uh, we you know we're in the potting shed at six ways, as mm-hmm. we call it, on the on the top of. Um, on the top of your dressing room side stand. But it, it's quite a, a technical feat to have me and Brian commentating on Munster Leinster. When I'm here, I'm, I, I'm, I'm actually upstairs today, but normally I do it downstairs in the kitchen uh, on the laptop. And BT have got these clever boxes and gadgets that allow me to talk into my little lip mic. Uh, while Brian, with a similar setup, at his uh, palace in Dublin, is, <laughs> is, is, is joined up. And we're watching, we're watching the match on the laptop and talking as if we're sitting next to each other. Uh, and mm-hmm. it, it's astonishing how it works. But, you know, if you didn't know that, I, I'd be fine most people watching it at the weekends to, to, to not realise that we're actually not sitting on each other's lap as we normally are when we're watching these things. It's, I... it's, a, you know, it's, it's, it's astonishing what the technical boys are doing on TV and radio at the moment to, uh, to keep us things entertained. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, absolute credit to them because the, the states I've been in trying to get a few Zoom calls set up and these guys are now cross-platforming laptops and all monitors. And I think that's it's really impressive. But uh, yeah. one of the things that I did look at uh, 
follow you on Twitter and some really good stuff that you put out. And I really love the the write ups that you do and the build up the matches with the kind of coloured inks and the the description of the players. And we'll get to that because the preparation that you do for matches is something that people won't understand, but I know it's huge. So I just thought that was a pretty cool. It's it's a good insight for you to put up. And I suppose if we're going to really kind of uh, there's not so much chronological sense to this, but I'm interested to know has sport always been a huge part of your life? Because I know you go into journalism off the back of leaving school and we will get to that. But in the early days, has sport always played a really big role? Because I know you're a Leicester City fan and we'll definitely get to that. But <laughs> what, what sort of experiences did you have a kid growing up playing and, and, and participating in sport? I, I, my family, without being overly sporty, uh, always loved sport. Uh, and I grew up in, in Leicestershire, which is a, a fabulous place to, to grow up if you want to start to love football, start to love rugby, you know, usual roots at school playing football and, and rugby at the school I went to. So it's always been a part of my life. I never always wanted to be a sports journalist. Uh, you kind of specialise the, the further down the journalism road you go. And, and I actually got into sports journalism relatively early in the end. But yeah, sport was always important to me. And I don't think you could do this job. I don't think you could do any kind of specialist job. You couldn't play rugby without loving sport. Yeah. Um, and I think it's it's the same with with what I do. Um, you know, it is always those pinch yourself moments when you when you're sitting at wherever, uh, sitting next to whoever, talking about a game of rugby and thinking actually being paid for this which is which is outrageous <laughs> yeah i think it's it's incredible and i suppose the Le- growing up in leicestershire you know growing up supporting a, a growing up as a leicester fan difficult times you probably went through the whole roller coaster of emotions and then it's actually quite funny when we were building up to organize this chat uh, i love the fact that your whatsapp pictures jimmy vardy like that oh yeah that's an indication of how big a leicester fan you are and i think yeah you know the the old days of Tony Cotty and and the rest of them and now the, the success that they've had you must be just loving it. Well, I grew up with with the team in the nineteen seventies. My first match was at Fulham FA Cup replay at nineteen seventy four. So wow. I'm I'm very 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 old. So I was growing up with with players who you probably never heard of called like like Keith Weller and Frank Worthington, classic names who folk as old as I am will will recognise. And we just you develop the ability to be disappointed when you're following a side. Who's your side? You're My a United side, fan. I'm a United fan, and I suppose yeah. I have to just give a little disclaimer because you, I grew up in a house where my old man and my brother kind of, well, my, old, my younger brother, there's four of us, and we kind of adopted United off the back of George Best and a, you know, the usual yeah. Northern Irish connection. But my old man was actually a Wolves fan, and so I, I have this affiliation with him just b- because of his support. But he was a fan off the back of, similar to you, the Steve Bull, the kind of those early 70s, 80s. So I'm a bit... Sp- I'm a split, but I'm a United fan, and I have to put it as game yeah. because people normally just go, "Yeah, typical you, glory hunter." But I'm kind of <laughs> going through what you went through now. I'm kind of getting used to the disappointment. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think it's important. My daughter Erin, who was who was our first, had a little Philbert the Fox mascot placed in her crib within about 34 seconds of her of her being born. I claimed her first and <laughs> foremost, uh, and she grew up initially, and we got some you know lovely photos of us walking to what was still then a relatively new King Power Stadium uh, in her little Erin three shirt. That's uh, awesome. And we were, we were in, the, we were in the, the first division. So, you know, the third tier at that stage, watching games against South End and Tranmere mm. and Plymouth. Um, so she grew up knowing that. And, and it, was, it was brilliant to see it through 
her eyes really because she was feeling it as much as as much as I was and she goes to went to school up the road here in southwest London which is a Chelsea area where we live Chelsea Fulham um, and she got so much abuse from her mates at school because uh, the, the glory hunting thing was clearly going to be there and she would say I was there when when we beat Leeds and in, nice in, the, in the old first division so she feels it as much as I do it was I can't put into words how I felt that night when Eden Hazard equalized for Chelsea against Spurs we were with um, some of our oldest mates and god I'm getting emotional now which yeah. is which is what sport's about isn't Absolutely. it you know I, I I kind of think I'm a bloke in my 50s, you're a bloke in your 20s. And when you're as old as I am, you will still feel that way yeah. about sport. And I just, uh, when, I, when I used to work at the BBC, there were, there were one or two people in the newsroom who, who felt themselves some kind of higher being because they did news, which was important, and we did sport, which mm. wasn't. And I'd look at them sometimes uh, when, they, when they'd talk down to us in the pub, with, uh, and I'd pity them because they just, do not understand what it is that that gets us excited as 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 viewers and as athletes like you are. If you don't get sport, I I, I just feel so sorry for you. And they don't they've never felt it. I think that's it. Because when you when you become part of that tribe or that clan or the, or that that team as a fan, supporter, player, you buy into it so fully that whenever you have the good times and the bad times, it becomes a part of your life. And I suppose that's what I love. Uh, growing up, Nick, I was originally a football fan uh, off the back of my old man, and you know, football's always held a really close place for me. And that's and part of it is because of how tribal it is. I love the fact that everybody you know the real positive aspect of it I mean but how, how people really get into it and I wish there was some aspects of it that were different but I think that is like you said it's the beauty of sport it's the, it's what makes the really good moments really good and I think yeah. off the back of that you know this journey into journalism for you it's your original work calling and, and you served in papers in Loughborough but it wasn't until slightly later that you moved into the sports journalism so what was it like initially when you had to report on uh, news stories that weren't sport related? Uh, well I, I... I've actually never been paid as a news reporter because the, the news reporting I did uh, in the mid-80s was as one of those snotty-nosed, annoying little kids who in his summer holidays would go and work for nothing at the Loughborough Trader, which was the local free sheet at the time. Um, and I, you know, I'll never forget the thrill of my first front page on this paper. It was a brilliant, brilliant paper to start out at. And so many people on the way up. And then at the Loughborough Echo, which was yeah. really posh because that was the that was the paper that you had to pay thirty pence a week <laughs> to get to get hold of. Um, uh, the thing that working in news taught me, uh, and I wasn't doing it was hardly Watergate, but I was I was doing uh, wedding photos on Monday morning, so so folk would send their wedding photos in and they'd be printed. And the bigger the wedding photo, the happier the paper were because if there were thirty people in the wedding photo, then there were thirty people about by the Loughborough Echo on a, on a mm -hmm. Friday morning. But you had to get the names right. And, and one of the things I always remember of, about local newspapers was the accuracy and how important that was. Because if I got Uncle Fred's name wrong in a wedding photo, you could guarantee that Auntie Doris would be writing a letter to the editor Absolutely. and I'd be hauled into his office on Monday morning. And I've, 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 I've never lost that. And Bill McLaren, who was one of my big mentors as a commentator, always drilled into me the importance of uh, you know having the respect to get your name right when you're on the ball and and that that all draws back to writing up wedding reports for the Loughborough Echo back in the 1980s yeah. you can't get the name right how can they trust you on anything else that you say I think that's such an incredible and powerful point in this in this day and age Nick because without blanket 
statementing all journalists and that's not what I'm intending to do. There is a lot of media outlets out there that have this kind of clickbait mentality. And I know we discussed it briefly earlier off offline and it's something that people really struggle with, this kind of honest journalism in this day and age. And, and that's probably tainted because of some of the other outlets that are more interested in getting news out quickly rather than news out truthfully or honestly or accurately. I think there are two aspects to this. One, it's, it's an industry really battling for its life at the moment. And lots of my best friends have, have lost their jobs over the last decade who were writing for national newspapers, writing on rugby for national newspapers. It's, it's an industry like so many uh, going through enormous changes and having to battle very hard to hold on to its constituency. And it's relatively new, uh, this business of putting stories up online that we will have clicked on over our morning cappuccino. So I think, I think the, to be fair to the industry, it, it is learning to grapple with things in a way that we didn't have to grapple with on the Loughborough Echo because we had a deadline on a Thursday at five o'clock. We had a whole week to prepare the paper and then it, and then it went in. It was clearly slightly different if you were doing a, working on a daily newspaper. I, I'm not saying I disagree with you, but I think, I think the industry is working out what it needs to be in the 21st century and, and how it is honest with us as consumers because certainly as broadcasters the best broadcasters i think are the are the genuine broadcasters the ones that even when you've not met if you're hearing them on the radio or on the tv you trust them and a journalist who doesn't have trust might as well not be a journalist and i think one of the issues at the moment with what we're seeing certainly online with some of the tabloids is that you just don't believe it uh, and, and and people like trump aren't helping because they're <laughs> suggesting that every every journalist uh, pumps out fake news. But I'll, I'll give you a quick example. Um, yeah, please do. St Stephen Jones has done a really important story over the last couple of weeks in the Sunday Times about the, the election for World Rugby's council yeah. uh, and, and the Fijian candidate that was put up who uh, it actually transpires probably shouldn't be elected onto, onto World Rugby's governing body. That's, that's what journalism is about. That for me is, we, we watched all the President's Men a couple of nights ago. We've watched pretty much every film that's ever been made, haven't we, all over the last few weeks. Yeah. All, all the President's Men about <laughs> Watergate with, with Robert Redford and Dustin Hoffman was on a couple of nights ago for us. And it's about holding a torch to those in power, making those in power accountable. That's important. So uh, as much as I agree with you, clickbait is terrible. Some parts of journalism are terrible. We shouldn't lose sight of the fact that journalism has a really important part to play, particularly in the way that our lives are unfolding at the moment. Yeah, Rant I totally over. agree. No, 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 no. I think it's, I think it's, here, listen, it's, it's an insight from someone who's in the, in the actual field. So, I mean, I suppose my frustration sits with, sits with the clickbait and social media, which is a small uh, minority of the stuff that goes out, but it just seems to create tension and build up really hostile situations on social media, which I think it's completely misused for. I suppose on, on the flip side of that, I totally understand that there's this kind of transition from you know, I cannot remember, and the honest truth is, I cannot remember the last time I bought a newspaper. And I understand that journalism is making that transition from articles from a newspaper to that kind of online world. There's a couple of guys who I think do it really well. Guys like Murray Kinsler, who you might not have heard of. Who, yeah, who released, no, of course I have. Yeah, I know Murray. Yeah, he releases some really good, honest rugby content on the 42. And I think 
there's a really big there's a really big opportunity for stuff like that. I really do think there is. The the issue sits with this kind of you'll have seen it, Nick, this kind of headline that suggests something. When you click into the article, there's nothing to do with it. You know, and, and that and all they're looking to do is generate traffic through their websites. And 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 I'm not meaning to bash one second journalism. I think they do hold a particularly important role within holding people accountable because at the end of the day they're there to report interesting, honest news and the more we can have of that the better. I think the move from journalism to broadcasting is an interesting one for, for me and you to discuss, Nick, because I, I listened to a podcast episode you actually did with Nick Heath, and Nick Nick's a great guy, really, really good guy. and uh, I, I actually World really, famous Nick Heath. Yeah, yeah, world famous Nick Heath. And I, I worked with him on an A-League game. I did some cool commentating with him, and he was such a nice dude, really, really friendly, yeah. looked yeah. after me really well, as you'll know. But one of the things you guys discussed, and I'm not looking to hop on the back of it, is that the move into broadcasting was almost not accidental, but not planned. No, not at all. I came to London for the first time to do a degree in media studies at the time that media studies wasn't actually that that popular a subject. But I'd worked out that I, I wanted to be a journalist. So I saw this as a kind of vocational three years that would put me in a decent position to start to apply for newspaper jobs. Uh, I grew up in Leicestershire in the sticks. And I remember seeing a picture once of Fleet Street and those old Red Route Master buses chugging their way to the top, towards the top of Ludgate Hill, and thinking, God damn, that's such an exciting place to live. Mm. Uh, and if I was a journalist, I'd work on Fleet Street and I'd live in a place like London. And that was the initial drive, wasn't necessarily to get out of Leicester. Leicester's a lovely place. Um, I go back there regularly. <laughs> Folks still live there. Uh, but it, that, was, that was the drive. I wanted to be, a, to be one of those um, inky print journalists on, on, on Fleet Street. But over the course of the degree, there were three segments to it, print journalism, radio, and television. And it was a brilliant, brilliant degree at um, uh, Central London Poly, as it was at the time, University of Westminster. Um, and it was in the centre of town. And it just exposed you to the real world, I suppose. We were around the corner from Broadcasting House. So it was difficult. And, and ITN was three three yards to the right. So it was difficult not to be there and not be influenced by broadcast land, which is where we were. And it suddenly struck me. It was interesting. You talk about uh, online stuff now and the immediacy that we all demand from our news outlets. It was at the time that I was beginning to think, if I have a story, I don't want to wait 24 hours for you to yeah. read about it. I want to say it and you to hear it now. No. And that was, that was for me, the, the drive towards broadcasting. I'd done a bit of commentary on Leicester City in that summer. And, and the thrill I got describing them score a winning goal at Bournemouth, knowing that my mates back home would be listening to it and would be affected yeah. by it. And it would impact on their Saturday night. That's a really powerful thing. And now... If I'm if I'm commentating on you scoring a try for the Warriors <laughs> at six ways, but I, I'm sharing your joy. But because I was one of those supporters and still am, I'm sharing their joy as well. And that's mm. that's what broadcasting is for me. And you know, I, I I hope that when you're watching, listening, you sense that from from all of us who are in it because it is a passion for us. It's not a it's not a job, and we're not fans with microphones. You know, if we if if you're scoring a try against Gloucester. We have to be aware that equally so, there are folk less happy with life right now, and we need to yeah. reflect that at the same time. It's a really difficult balance act sometimes, but that that was what broadcasting was about for me. It was just the immediacy and being able to share 
and maybe bring together how we all felt about that one particular. Yeah, absolutely. And I wonder, you know, off the back of you, you discussed that kind of triple pronged approach that you had to follow. And the radio is something that interests me. Clearly, with a face like this, radio maybe is something that I'll end up navigating towards. But oh, I know you're a handsome man. Now. <laughs> Thank you. But uh, what sort of radio stations do you listen to? I mean, I'm a huge talk sport fan. I really love talk sport. I think some of the insight those guys get, I love when they get the ex professionals on. Guys like Ali McCoy, I could listen to all day. Do you have any favorite? radio stations that you plug on when you're out and about i can't i can't it changes through the day so i woke up this morning alarm goes off and it's radio five i i spent a decade at radio five love mm-hmm. my time there at the time at the time that it was really beginning to develop from radio five actually into five live it was a almost like a children's uh, network a news network and a sport network when it first started in the early 90s um but but we really started to to push into sport live sport much much more in yep. the in the early to mid nineties, so I'm still I'm still a huge Radio Five fan. And then actually, because I'm old as the hills now, when I come downstairs and I've consumed my news, I listen to Radio Three, uh, and it too will happen to you. Now, so stop smirking. Yeah. You will also <laughs> be listening to classical music stations along with I the rest of the Ringleys. I can't stand classical. It's honestly it's the, <laughs> my, like we grew up with it in the house, and I don't know whether that's in like it's affected me in some way but I, it's the one type of music i struggle with but hey time uh, catches up with us all doesn't well, it, it does well i actually interestingly we never had it in the house my my mum and dad were really really young parents i was definitely a child of the 60s so i grew up listening to the beatles and the stones oh, and, and all class. that kind of stuff so so yeah i mean that was that's part of my dna i i i wouldn't know beethoven if he was playing tight head for Worcester to be honest um, so <laughs> I, i've actually really enjoyed just learning about a, you know, a different i love music i love you know, film, love music, love any kind of thing that tells a narrative, and and in some ways that helps the commentary as well. But no, I um, anyway, I'll stop banging on about classical music. No, no, I think it's it's brilliant. Listen, <laughs> Nick, the whole point is to get some insight into you because very often we hear you discussing and describing, you know, objective things. Whereas this is this is great to get some insight. And next time you give me some abuse on the uh, on the old commentary, I'll hammer you for your classical. So don't worry. <laughs> um, so again, and I'm just off the back of the Nick Heath, and I don't, I don't want to steal all this stuff, but there was one aspect, this is the last bit, but there was an aspect of it that I just loved. I loved the discussion around the fame of broadcasting, and now you'll probably not appreciate how well-known you are, but I think your voice is probably more recognizable than your face. Is that fair? Oh, yeah, absolutely. And I love yeah. that. I love the fact that, actually, I, I can't get the 209 bus from Hammersmith back home now because Hammersmith Bridge is shut but that's another story. But I love yeah. the idea that, that we can still travel, travel around me and Ali Eakin and, and, and Nick yeah. and Andrew Cotter. And, you know, actually, less so Eddie Butler. If you play the game, then you're, you know, yeah. you're, you're a bit more well-known. But no, I, I, didn't, I didn't go into this to be recognizable. I went into it because I'm you know, a journalist, and this is just one form of journalism. Um, yeah. Anyway, uh, yeah, so I, I, I love the fact that it's... That it's anonymous until you open your mouth and sometimes people go hang on a minute i know that voice and that's kind of what i was going to get to because you use the analogy that you like the ability to get on the bus and have a kebab and people don't yeah. know who you are and you're eating your kebab and i thought that was fantastic because that shows in its purest form what you're in it for you know there's plenty of people in this day and age who are in it for the wrong reasons and i think without blowing smoke up your ass now i think it's very obvious with the manner in which you hold yourself and examples like that that you're in it because you've got a huge passion for sport and you love telling the 
story of what's happening on the pitch. Off the back of the, the voice thing, have you ever encountered moments where you're kind of engaging with someone and you can just see the, the switch flicking where they go, hold on, I'm sure on a Saturday or a Sunday at 2.30, I'm listening to this dude speaking. It happens all the time. I, I was in a supermarket uh, a few years ago and uh, a young kid came up and said, I'm really sorry, but would you mind just giving me a couple of minutes? We're doing, we're doing a, a survey. And yeah, I said, yeah, of course. Uh, started to answer one or two of his questions and he, you could see him beginning to stumble over the second and third one. He went, I just, you sound just like Nick Mullins. And I said, it's funny, you're not the first person who's... who's, who's uh, that's amazing. I see, I think that's brilliant. I, and that is what I mean. At the top of the show, you say, um, you know, your voice will be super recognizable for everybody who listens to this. So next off, I wonder, you know, that move into broadcasting, what sort of progressions did you take? What sort of steps did you have to, did you have to cut your teeth at a certain level, which has taken you to the steps that you're at now, where clearly you're a household name on many, many sports, particularly the rugby, which we will get to, but the early process, you know, that process of having to work your way up, what did that look like? Well, I don't know whether it looks differently now to 18 year old me's who are trying to follow the same kind of path. But I always say whenever, whenever um, people get in touch who want to follow a similar route, I say local radio is just the best way of doing it. Certainly as a broadcaster, because it's where you learn. It, it's, it's, it is, it's the academy. It's your academy. It allows mm. you to, to find out who you are as a broadcaster, most importantly. I think there's one thing that, uh, I don't know, this is, this, is, this is perhaps too big a leap to make, but I think it's the one thing that defines those who, who do reasonably well at their professions is that they do it being themselves um, and they have a personality yeah. and a character. And I'd like to think that when we watch you play rugby, that's you playing rugby. You're not trying to be Keith Wood. No, you're I'd just love being to yourself. be, but I know exactly yeah, what you mean. Do you know what I mean? You know, yeah, you 100%. And I think I think part of the early broadcasting process, and it would it would be the same as a print journalist as well, when you're expressing your personality through words. But part of the early broadcasting process for me was not who I was, but how I would communicate that in a commentary. And that takes time because you've been yeah. influenced by all of these people down the years, by by for me, people like Bill McLaren, obviously. And initially, almost inevitably, I would probably sound like Bill. Hmm. But that it it takes time. To, to, to work out what your voice is, you've got to find your, your proper, genuine voice uh, will work for you and pay the mortgage, essentially. So local radio was brilliant. I, I, I spent four years at Radio Leicester and then Kent, then went to Radio 5 as a producer, actually, um, which, was, which was great because for two years, I'm not sure, there, there might be a, an equivalent for you of this, but I spent two years cutting tapes, yeah. um, making sure that things got on air, listening to Ian Robertson and listening to Christopher Martin Jenkins and working with Brian Johnston, uh, the, cricket, the cricket commentator, and working alongside Jonathan Agnew. All these brilliant, brilliant names, Brian Butler, uh, that I could learn from. Cliff Morgan was, was one of my great, yeah. great mentors. So that was the step for me, really. But it was local radio, a couple of years as a producer at Radio 5, and then Bob Shannon, who's now one of the biggest of big cheeses at BBC, then head of sports said it was at the point actually when Miles Harrison was moving from the BBC to Sky for the first time after the 95 World Cup um, and he said you know we need a broadcaster do you want to be a broadcaster and I felt yeah I'm I'm ready to do this but it took time and yeah. I'm still learning how to how to develop that voice and how to be authentic so that when you hear me on the TV the, the best thing anyone ever says to me is when when we meet and chat in the flesh is you're just like you are on the telly 100 percent 
as if you go as if you as if you can be anybody else when you're on the telly. You can't do that. We well, no, can't I, do it long term because you just cannot be genuine and pretend to be genuine. Yeah, it's not authentic. And I think it's really interesting because I was I'm desperate to chat about that relationship with Bill McLaren and the influence he had. But you almost touch on something that we can relate to as rugby players because I would be lying to you if I didn't say that I have, you know, you kind of steal parts of people's rugby performance to make your own individualized concept of what your job is. So stuff that Rory Best did when I was at Ulster, I 100% tried to try to replicate and mimic stuff that guys... What kind of things? Well, stuff like his ability to jackal, his ability to try and lead through few words is something that probably the two main things is kind of leadership and his ability to jackal because that's probably his point of difference within the game of world rugby was was his ability to make turnovers that other hookers probably couldn't. Well, ex- the exception is maybe Chat, who the, the French uh, hooker who's just a different gravy. But yeah. my, my point is, you know, you kind of find your own concept and your own mold off the back of stealing little bits. And that experience with Bill McLaren must have just been amazing because he is probably renowned as the voice of rugby. And, you know, he, he did the... A lot of people will know what I'm talking about, and he, but he did the commentary for the John Loma rugby game. Oh, yeah. Have you ever yes. heard any of it? And I mean, yes, and that, I have. Yeah. some of these phrases, like me and my brothers used to just like, until mum would tell us to get off, probably the fifth <laughs> time we used to play that nonstop, given the guys, you know, at the team of John Lamus versus whoever could beat them. And some of the phrases he used to have, like digging like a demented mole, that'll put him in ward five. You know, they yeah. live with me forever. How much of an influence on, on what Nick Mullins is now with the constant search for improvement, how much of what Bill taught you as a young man do you, do you still see in your performance? It's a really interesting question because initially, and I don't know whether initially you tried not to be Rory Best, but certainly initially I did all I could not to be Bill yeah. because when I was establishing myself, I didn't want people to say there will never be another Bill and there will never be another Bill. He was yeah. just on another level. But I didn't want to be that bloke trying to be another Bill. Yeah. Um, and and you, you, it's, it's just about time, isn't it? It's, it's, it's hanging around people beginning to, to trust you to the point now that I will use a, an animal analogy yeah. if it's the one that genuinely pops into my mind at the time. Previously, so, for example, the, the Alice Genge uh, baby elephant. Oh, that was Ali. That was, I, I, was that Ali, Ali was can it? claim. Sorry. Yeah, that, but that's, but that's, no, it's perfect. But that's, that's Stone Genge was mine. Stonehenge, that's it. Yeah, Stonehenge yeah, yeah. was mine. Did not quite as good as Ali's yeah. baby rhino, but yeah. yeah. Um, oh no, you did have a baby elephant though. There was the Petty Fenua one. Oh yes, he was the that weight was of a baby a elephant. Weight of a baby elephant. Oh, I knew it was on something elephant. there. Yes. Yeah, yeah. He was about fifty-three stones or whatever, whatever he yeah. was. Um, Bill. Oh God, we could be here for forever talking about what I learned from Bill, uh, and he was so generous with his time. You know, I'm sure you'll yeah. you'll have tales of of players who were there when you were starting to develop as well, who just worked. They didn't, they didn't have to work hard to help you because they just knew what to say at the right time. And that's what mm. Bill was. But I'd, I'd learned so much from Bill just by watching him. So the business of standing on a touchline on a wet Tuesday afternoon, watching teams train, I do that because Bill did it. And if Bill did it, then it was the right thing to do. Absolutely. Um, you know, it's, it, it, wouldn't, it wouldn't have been a, a groundbreaking piece of advice that Bill gave me, but it was, it was the most important one. And he said, don't fail trying to be me, succeed being you. And, 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 and he it's was right. Uh, and it doesn't mean that what people enjoyed about Bill's commentary and more, probably more importantly, what I enjoyed about Bill's commentary, I couldn't adopt. So the things that I do now that 
hopefully reflect well on Bill's legacy are a desire always to look for the positive. In an era where being critical is in vogue, that's mm. not my job. That's not my job. If, if, you, if you overthrow the line out, my job is to, is to share your frustration, the frustration of the Worcester supporters who are watching you, but it's not to criticise you. If Ben Kay yeah. wants to come in and say, yeah, Niall, I think Niall got his timing wrong there or the lifters weren't working yeah. or whatever, that's not, but that, that's Ben's job and Ben does it as well as anybody because you know, he, understand, he, understands, he understands the mechanics of a line-out and so many other things. But, but Bill would, would offer, he'd be positive. He loved the sport. He, I want to see you play well. Yeah. I don't want to have to keep quiet because it's not going your way that day. I want this to be a celebration for all of us. And, and that's what Bill was. He, he, he celebrated the sport. He celebrated the athletes. And I think he did that because he knew them. And I remember the first time commentating on you after we'd met for the first time. Yeah. My commentary was probably a little bit different yeah. because I knew you as a, as, as a bloke. And, and, that, uh, and that, again, is why you go to training sessions because you want to get to know as many of these people that you're talking about as you can. The coaches, the players, the kit men, the assistant coaches, the physios, because you feel part of their world, because you've invested in the time that you have invested as players into that couple of hours on the weekend. Yeah, so I, I suppose it's, uh, I love that outlook on it, the positivity, because that is, I suppose, in tandem with the reason that I've set this whole kind of podcast thing up. It's very positive, it's very informative, but there's that that outlook that Bill McLaren had and that you're clearly adopting, I just think it's incredible. It's, it's, what, it's what sports journalism is for me. There's no reason that you can't, you know, offer reasons for things not going right, because in the sport that we play, in the sport that you commented on, Nick, you know there's a lot that goes wrong a lot and we work very hard to make sure there's not too many but the need to try and be positive is something I think is hugely important in this day and age and I suppose you touched on the preparation for the connection that you make by going out to see clubs and people won't know that this happens you know I remember the first couple of times it happened going through the academy and I'd be going like over in Ulster I'd be going like why are there why are the journalists on the side of the pitch it's really important because you get an insight into how people move, how people play, what sort of moves you're preparing. You almost get a sneak peek at what we're going to try and produce on the weekend. Yeah. I suppose on that topic, can you give us a bit of insight into what preparing for a big European slash big premiership game on a weekly basis is? Well, it's, it's a day with each club and clubs don't have to let us in. So we're very fortunate and it's part of the relationship building thing. And I know I, know I, I really enjoyed your chat with, with Wayne Barnes a couple of weeks ago. Uh, and, and I think to a degree, the, the way that Wayne would prepare for a big match is, is very similar to the way that we as commentators would prepare for a, for a big match. And, and the most important part of that preparation is spending time with the two teams in the week leading up to it. First and foremost, for identification, yeah. because particularly for me, if it's, who, who might it be? If it's, if it's Gloucester against Ulster in a Heineken Cup match, I, I'm seeing Gloucester week in, week out, because that's what we do uh, on BT. Yeah. We do the premiership. So I need to go to Belfast. I need to go to, to, to Pirrie Park to, to watch Ulster run around, because as much as I'll know the test players, I frankly don't have time to watch Pro 14, because we're doing two games a weekend premiership-wise, and then Absolutely. I'm preparing for the next weekend. So as much as I'd love... Uh, to be able to watch Pro 14. The, the reality is I just don't have time. So I need to go over to, to Belfast to know exactly what those 23 players who are going to play that weekend and the coaches wonderfully give us an idea of what the 23 might be 
couple of days before it's announced publicly. That, that's, that's part and parcel of what I do. I, I, I also think, uh, and I'd actually be really interested to get your view on this, particularly with those clubs that, that we're seeing regularly, like, like Worcester. If I'm talking about you on a Saturday or a Sunday, one of the kind of filters for me is if I, and something comes into my head, if I say this now, how will Niall react when he sees me on a Tuesday morning mm. on one of those back pitches at, at, at Six Ways? And will I be able to justify it? And will I feel comfortable repeating it to his face as I might have to because we see each other at training sessions? And I think as a going back to that clickbait thing, what, what a lot of journalists these days don't have to deal with is facing those about whom they're writing. For us as sports broadcasters, if we're going to have a long-term future in this business, we have to have relationships with guys like you. Absolutely. You, have to tr- you have to trust us. And part of that process is, is me being big enough to go along on a Tuesday to six ways and you to be able to come up to me and say, oh, that wasn't fair yeah. or you got that wrong. Hopefully it doesn't happen very often, but I think, no. I think that being there and being accountable is really important. I totally agree, and I think um, it's very, it is very, very rare. But I suppose the, what you guys do, you have to be really brave because you're what you're doing is voicing your opinion on a very, very public platform, you know. And Richard Wigglesworth gave an amazing insight into whenever that has gone wrong. And um, we discussed how the inner voice of a rugby player can cause massive conversations in your head about are you doing enough, blah blah blah. And he was talking about how he uses his to motivate himself, but sometimes he uses external things and he'll read things wrong on purpose or he'll take things out of context just to motivate himself and it's a really interesting thing that hopefully we're going to get into down the line with the pod because it's probably stuff that people don't appreciate that, that goes in that kind of psyche of a rugby player but he he suggested that there was one week where Austin Healy wrote something about him in comparison to Ben Spencer and he admitted that he read it kind of out of context and in the warm-up of the game he actually ran up to Austin Healy and said, like, you're absolutely wrong. And he, that was almost an example of how Austin Healy's on the side of a pitch. They discussed it after the game and they were man enough to have a conversation. What you guys do, I suppose, is give your very, very expertise opinion, you know, with the guys like Austin and your ability to narrate and, and facilitate those conversations. Uh, and you give your opinion on a public platform. I think being on the side of the pitch is super important because if you get someone who bashes you and bashes you and bashes you or critiques you in certain ways and then doesn't have the balls, so to speak, to be there and face up for it that can be difficult and that's when it feels like you're on social media and you're getting abused by someone who's not man enough to come and come and speak it to your face but in tandem with that nick i think you have to appreciate that what you guys say more times than not is right and you understand the review process that we go through so if i throw a line out and my timing's not right like I'm going to get told probably twice or three times before I catch you on a Thursday that my timing wasn't right. So there's yeah. a certain degree of responsibility on a player's behalf to make sure that, you know, you have to be honest. We have to be honest yeah. too. And you know, the interesting thing about that, um, I, I, you know, and I love the idea that when, when we go down to training sessions, wherever it is in the premiership on a Tuesday, Ooh. Tuesday tends to be the day that, 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 that we come. It depends yeah. now more on, on when your game is, doesn't it? If it's a Friday, yeah. Saturday or a Sunday, kind of clearly affects your your training schedule but very often it's a Tuesday when the coaches will say yeah come down and, 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 and watch what what we're doing there is also getting an, an insight into your world so we we know that you have that Monday morning review session mm. we know that Sunday evenings don't really exist for coaches and the video analysts because that's when they're putting the Monday morning review sessions together and I think it's our responsibility because we don't have proper jobs to give those who do have proper jobs and don't have time to go to 
six ways on a Tuesday morning and watch you boys train to explain what's going on on a Saturday. We, we, we've got to be authentic. And that's what, that's what Austin tries to do as, as well. We, we need to look at that game. This is, this is what, in my mind, what the best commentators would do. We need to look at that game through your eyes. When you're, when you're about to throw in uh, to, a, to, a, to a full line out, I need to be in your boots because I need to know what you're thinking. And I need yeah. to know um, how much work has gone into the particular call that you might be trying to nail, what the lifters are looking to do, what that move off it might be, given where you are on the pitch. And then I need to explain all of that to my mum. And that's my, <laughs> that's my job. That's a great um, way of putting it. And then it's the job of Benny and Austin and Hugo and Lowell to put a bit more technical stuff on it. Because yeah. let's be frank, if you, you don't stumble across BT Sport Rugby, if you've no. found Channel 432, you've not happened upon it. So those watching yeah. BT Sport Rugby, A, love rugby, B, are probably quite happy to learn from the 80 minutes that they've spent watching. I think, I think if, we, if we spend 80 minutes taking up somebody's time on a Saturday afternoon and we don't leave them with things that they didn't know before, we're not doing our job because we need to be explaining to them what you're thinking, how much work is going into that particular moment yeah. of throwing the ball into a line-out. We love that granular thing, don't we? That's what sports fans love as well, going back to what we were chatting about earlier. Yeah, I think the BT Sport do it really well. I love some of the demos that you guys do. I love some of the insight that you use through the highlighting of players, the drawing of lines. I think it's brilliant. And I think there's definitely men and women watching that who do go back to their clubs on a Tuesday and a Thursday. And yeah. They try and put that into practice, and that's what sport's about. I suppose on the other side of broadcasting, and we touched on some of it, what's, what are the really difficult aspects of it? I, I mean, I was trying to put, I, again, in preparation for this, I attempted to put myself in Nick Mullen's shoes, and I probably suggested to myself that when really unexpected things happen or things that are really controversial, that can be quite tricky to make sure that you're getting your point across correctly what would you suggest are the really difficult parts of broadcasting i think i think there are there are two things actually there are three things because the, the, the most important part to me as a commentator is to get players names right yeah so when you're running forward with the ball i'm not mixing you up with john o'lance or or, 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 or whoever so <laughs> he's first bald and foremost, can't mix me up yeah, with john o. <laughs> no I, I can i can you've not listened to enough of my commentaries so first and foremost it's identified i shout out names loud that's what i do you know i'm shouting out names a lot during a match so that's the first job so if if i can get most of those names if if the names that i'm shouting out occasionally correspond with the players on the ball yeah, yeah. then that that that's my job uh, but more more importantly it is it is journalism i'm being a journalist and it's happening live in front of me so when chris ashton and manu tuolangi uh, are knocking six bells out of each other yes. in that infamous match at welford road yeah i'm having to think in the moment i'm having to be fair to both players i'm having to be accurate but i'm having to think about the Sunday morning headlines and the Monday morning headlines and the headlines after the sighting meeting. So you are, you're trying to cover everything. What I don't want is for people to look back on that match six years later and think, oh, they didn't mention actually what was the story at the time. So in, in, a, in a nutshell, I, I, I have to draw out the essence of the story immediately while being fair to, to everybody. The other, do you, know, do you know what my biggest challenge is? And I'd, I'd be really interested to get, to get your view on how we all do this because you aren't English and my biggest challenge comes on European weekends and Six Nations weekends and World Cups when I as an Englishman albeit one with Scottish and Irish blood in me mm. are commentating on England against Ireland or Saracens against Ulster when I will 
be perceived by some with Irish accents as being somebody who represents the team yeah. with the English accents. Yeah. That's my biggest challenge, to be neutral. Yeah. And that and that goes back to, to one of the things that Bill was was brilliant at. So I, I don't know how much you think about that as an Irishman when you're listening to me commentate on England Island. Well, uh, you know, it's, it's an interesting point, and I know it's slightly different, but when I, when I watch football matches and the nationality and club thing, I, know, I suppose it's kind of different. But when I watch a football match, say United versus Liverpool, and I hear Jimmy Carragher commentating on it, it's hard for me not to suggest in my brain that he's biased to Liverpool. And I know he probably is, but he's doing a really good job of trying to make himself as neutral as possible. I think within the nationality of it, there's an there's an element that people will probably just think it anyway because of how you sound. I think yeah. your the narrative of what you're saying is so important because you know if for example you know if 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 something happens and someone gets sent off in a white jersey and you say it you know in the narrative of what's happening and the, the difficulty with rugby is that it's as Wayne Barnes said it's grey at times. Um, mm. That does make it quite difficult for you guys, but I think as long as you kind of hold a reputation as someone who just tells it like it is, and you know whether it's an English team playing in Europe versus a French team, you're just discussing the narrative of what's happening. I think more times than not, people almost look past the accents, they look past the nationalities, but then that's coming back to me. Like I know for a fact, Jimmy Carragher wants to beat United, and I yeah. know for a fact when you get that kind of commentator cam and him and Gary Neville, and you see Jimmy Carragher jumping around celebrating, that's also part of what makes the commentating brilliant because yeah. you might have an attachment to one of the sides. You see, because I'm uh, one of the things I'm thinking about at the moment is is neutral good? Should I should I actually be more partial? I don't think I should be. You know, I. What, what, one of the things I hate about broadcasters and sports commentators are those who say "us" and "we." I can understand. I can almost understand it if you've played for England or mm-hmm. you've played for Ireland. Cannot get my head around it if you're a commentator. It isn't "us" and "we" because the moment you say "us" and "we," switch off half the group. I'm ruling you out. If yeah. you're watching England, Ireland, and the Six Nations, and I say "us." No. <laughs> I'm suddenly not talking. I'm suddenly not talking to you, and that's yeah. not broadcasting. That's narrow casting, and mm. I just do not get how some commentators still use us and we. It's just it, anyway. That that that's that's one of my thirty second rants. Um, <laughs> but so, so and here's the other thing: when I'm doing England against Ireland, I genuinely don't care who wins. I well, I'm, I'm being very selfish. I want to be brilliant as a commentator. Mm. I don't care who wins. My, my Saturday night won't be impacted by whether Owen Farrell's feeling good about his. If I misidentify a try scorer with England winning by 50 points, my Saturday night is decimated. Yeah. So my job at that point is not to care who wins. And that's why Bill was so brilliant at what he did, because... His mind, my mind, isn't big enough to commentate in the way that we have to do it and at the same time care whether the try scored or not. Mm. We've got too many other things going on in, on in our mind to worry about who wins, at, who wins at the end of the match. But what I would add to that, uh, and I'm being very honest about it now, probably the best game England have ever played, England against New Zealand in the World yeah. Cup back in, uh, back in the autumn. I'll watch that back. I've, I've watched that game back once and I didn't give England anywhere near the credit I should have given them. Because you were too concerned about coming across biased. Because I'm aware that on ITV, there will be, there's a fair chance that people watching that match will also be from New Zealand, mm. will want New Zealand to win. And I spent too much time worrying about what the Kiwi viewer might have felt and not actually appreciating that this how, was... How good they were. It was extraordinary. Because yeah. I, I, and I kind of think that if, 
if that performance had been delivered by Ireland or Wales or Scotland, I would have said quite happily, this is probably the finest ever performance by one of these sides. I don't, I'm not sure I said that in the commentary because I've, I've got that little yeah. nationalism filter in place that yeah. sometimes often works, sometimes holds me back a little bit more than, I, than it ought to. I think it's super interesting. Uh, you know, it's stuff that I know for a fact I, I wouldn't have considered. It's stuff that I know for a fact people listening to the podcast won't have considered. And, you know, I, I do think you do a great job of it, but the pursuit for excellence is a real... It's a real, it's a theme throughout the whole chat because everyone we've had on is constantly, you know, I very directly said to Wayne Barnes, you have, you were awarded the 2019 World Referee of the Year and automatically you said, oh, but I want to be better. And I think it's excellent yeah. that guys like you are continuing to try and do that. And so off the back of that, I suppose we'll, we'll dip our toes into a different kind of field because you've done a lot more than just rugby. Um, mm. and, and I suppose that this kind of conversation transfers because you've done Wimbledon, the French Open, you've done years and years of the Olympics, Manchester Commonwealth Games, Summer Olympics in Athens. I could continue going on here for a long time. You, you've done a lot of different sports. And I suppose my question is double pronged. How do you prepare yourself to speak so accurately and professionally on different sports outside of rugby? And then in tandem with that, how does the conversation we've just had come into it whenever you see a GB athlete? lining up for a 400 meter race in the final and and you want to be as impartial as possible again it's 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 not difficult because it's not my job to be cheerleading for Andy Murray it's my job to be celebrating tennis if I'm sitting at on center court at Wimbledon or celebrating yeah you know they were at Roland Garros wherever we are I love sport yeah. and I and, and, and my job is made that much easier if the sport I'm watching is of a high quality. So when I'm, when I'm commentating on Murray against Federer, I'm just doing what you're doing, which is sitting on the sofa going, This is amazing. Uh, how, do, how? Well, how? And it doesn't matter whether it's come off Federer's racket or Murray's racket. I'm, 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 not, I'm not there to cheerlead. The other, the other answer, particularly around the Olympics, I did, um, I did taekwondo in, in Beijing yes. uh, and London in, in, in 2012. And, and, Mates would say, what do you know about Taekwondo? That's what and I mean. I go, I go, I've spent three days prepping for this. How much do you know about Taekwondo? <laughs> I've got three days more experience. And actually, uh, you, you know, so that's, that's part of the point. But, but what, I, what I'm doing is just getting to know the athletes, like I'm getting to know you as a rugby player. So when, yeah. when, when uh, Jay Jones walks on, I've got her story. I'm in no way going to try to bluff my way through what she's like as a Taekwondo player. Because I've got yeah. a brilliant summariser called John Cullen, who played the sport to an international level, to yeah. do that. So actually, you can you can you can overcomplicate it sometimes, particularly around Olympics. It's not my job to understand Taekwondo like it's been part of my life for thirty years, but it is my job to be able to tell you why you should care whether Jade Jones wins this gold or silver. I want you to yeah. be part of her life because I want you to know that her mum died six months ago and she's gone through this for her mum and oh my god I'm tearing up because it was such an emotional yeah. moment and and when yeah. Jay Jones wins the gold if you don't remember it YouTube it I do um, yeah. she points to the sky and goes I love you mum and that's when as a TV commentator you just shut up just let nothing. it happen I've done my job I've made you aware of the fact that her mum has died and this is quite an emotional moment for her so when she does that you're feeling what I'm feeling which is just yeah. utter goosebumps oh yeah you, you've, never met, you, you've never met Jay Jones. You, no. you, you might never meet Jay Jones, but for that moment, it's the most important thing in her life. And critically for us as broadcasters, 
it's become the most important thing in your life as well. Just for a brief moment, but that's that's what the job is. Yeah, amazing. Two brilliant answers. I mean, I had quite a few different angles to go back with it, but I think it summarizes it perfectly. I think it's just such a genuine approach to, to narrating the spectacle and the beauty of sports. So well, let me also, ask you a question. When, 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 when you're watching as, as a viewer, what, what do you want from the commentator? What are the things that kind of press, press your buttons and, and actually as interesting what are the things that annoy you so the most important thing for me as a rugby player because of the level that, that we train and play at i expect accuracy from the people who are commentating on us at the highest level what frustrates me is whenever i hear a commentator or a pundit in inverted commas at times commentating commentating on a sport and they couldn't be further from what modern the modern game is it's really important for me that a I don't think a commentator has to have played rugby at the highest level. I don't think a pundit has to have played rugby at the highest level. Some of the best do. But what frustrates me is whenever guys seem so detached from it. They seem so detached from the actual ins and outs, the tactical, technical aspects of it. And one of the best for me, someone who gets quite a bit, he got a little bit of jip for it. But Paul O'Connell was unbelievable because oh. everything he said, I was like, he's absolutely bang on. So like my, yeah. me and my brothers, like I said, we're four boys. And we have a we have a WhatsApp group, and you know there'll be content put in there, and the lads will be like, "Now, what's he talking about here?" And I'm going, "Lads, he's absolutely bang on. Like he he is a high level coach, was one of the highest level performing athletes in the game. He knows what he's talking about, and he's right. And, and I suppose to counter that, when you get guys suggesting or talking about things, and and the beauty of sport is that there can be different opinions, but from a real tactical technical aspect, when they're wrong, that's frustrating because they're not yeah. actually getting the the point across they're given a, an interpretation and and that's the frustrating thing yeah we used um sam warburton quite a lot over the last couple of years uh, yeah. and sam was with with us on itv out at the world cup and you just see you don't get a, a complete response on twitter we all know that but you just see when you go on twitter afterwards how people have reacted when they're listening to so somebody like paul o'connell to sam yeah. warburton dylan hartley actually is somebody who, 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 who made a very good impression as well over... over I thought he was brilliant in that Six Nations. Uh, yeah. He gave some... And, and, and I have to reiterate, there, it, doesn't, it doesn't take someone to be the most knowledgeable, but it takes someone who's current. They have to be current and they have to study the game that they're talking about. So, you know, if, if you were to go in and discuss the Taekwondo or you have a special guest who's going to do it with you, they need to know what that sport looks like now, not what it looked like 50 years ago. And that doesn't mean that there's an age limit. It just means that that person has to know what it looks like now. And they can relate that. Some of the older guys, and I use the older term gently, but some of the older guys in, in, in sports, and particularly rugby, some of them are really good at keeping current. Some of them are really good at keeping contemporary. And I think the frustration is whenever you get that gap. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think, I think you know, Hugo, Hugo's, Hugo's been out of the game three, four years now, but he works very hard yeah. to, to keep in touch with, um, with his mates at, at Quinns. You know, all, all, our, all our guys do that. You know, uh, clearly uh, Lawrence is still involved with Wasps. Yeah. Ben, ben at Leicester. You know, Austin keeps a close eye on the game. You, 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 can't, you can't be the barroom bore and be a good commentator. If you're not if you're not current and you're not informing, then what are you doing? I totally agree, and I think it's evident that the BT guys, you know, in fairness, a lot of them are very high performing players within sport. But and I'm not surprised, but they have, but the knowledge that they're working hard to keep current is fantastic, and it's evident. And I suppose the other aspect is something that we have discussed: the negativity. the The negativity is something that I struggle with because. 
I personally, as a person, try really hard to try and just constantly see the positives in things because I've been in a place where I've been quite negative and I just think it's not a particularly healthy or good place to live. And off the back of that, whenever you get commentators like yourself who are particularly positive and that, that's why that Bill McLaren discussion we had was so interesting because I never, I've never, I never met him. You know, I mm. probably never really caught a game live with, from Bill because of my age. Um, I did play for the Bill McLaren Cup whenever the Barbarians played against a Hoik team up in the... Hoik balls with those little mints that you'd hand out. I should do that, actually. I've often thought that I don't have sweets or cakes that I should be handing out to players so they would naturally gravitate to me yeah. on the side you get of all the, the pitch after a trading session. Yeah, <laughs> I, I need to talk to you. I need to come up with a... I, I need to change my sweet strategy. Yeah, you, you'll get all the front rowers. You'll get me and Nick Shonart and Ethan Waller basically just hanging around <laughs> until the nutritionist or the SNC coach chases us. Okay, so I suppose off the back of what we just discussed, um, really interesting that we've discussed some of the other sports. Okay, so away from rugby, Nick... Do you have any moments that you, you stand back and you think, you know, I was just honoured to be there? Uh, well, uh, well without, without being too trite about it, every time I pick up a microphone and, and broadcast in somebody's living room, one of, one of the great things that, that Cliff Morgan taught me, I produced uh, Cliff in the early days at BBC Radio, was never lose sight of the fact that you're inviting yourself into somebody's living room. Um, so behave as you would do if you were going to someone's living room that you didn't yeah. necessarily know. So treat that honor with respect. So every time I broadcast, I'm taking a little bit of cliff in my head onto the air because that's, that's so important. So important. Moments. Well, I, moments. I, 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 yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to, I'm try, I totally, I think that's amazing. And I love that analogy of you stepping into someone's living room for 80 minutes or 90 minutes. I mean, flashbulb moments where you've I, I know you referenced the 95 world cup in rugby and we'll get back to the rugby because the main listenership is rugby but outside of rugby you've done some amazing amazing events so has to give, give us one or two where you've sat there and you've seen you know that kind of moment you discussed in the taekwondo where you've really felt it so so uh, so not rugby related not, we'll get to the rugby later, but I'm, I'm okay. interested more because your career is obviously a lot of people will know you for the rugby, but there's so much more mm. you've done. Like you've been okay. there in big Wimbledon days. You've been there in the Olympics, which is the greatest sporting scale in the world. Yeah. Uh, okay. Being, being on centre court at pretty much 10 o'clock at night on the Sunday evening when Nadal and Federer were, were still bashing away, that was astonishing. I was commentating on the radio uh, that day for World Service, funnily enough. So that was, that was going everywhere. That, yeah. was, that was one of those moments where in between my commentary stints and the, and the commentary box on centre court uh, is, is eye level with yeah. the players. You are, you're on the angle just behind the baseline. That was astonishing. The moment, I think the, the biggest non-rugby related moment when I, when I had the biggest lump in my throat was the 2008 Olympics. And I, I was I commentating on, on, on the opening ceremony for uh, Radio 5. Opening and closing ceremonies aren't everybody's cup of tea. But I just think particularly in the Olympics, there's a, there's, a, there's a real resonance to them. They set the tone for what we're about to see. And then they celebrate at the end of it what we have seen. So I, I love them. And it's and uh, such a thrill for me to commentate on opening ceremonies because some of my broadcasting heroes had, had, had done that. Um, but we'd been in Beijing for three, four weeks, and I loved our time in China. But any any of you who have been to China will know that there's a certain regimentation 
to it, uh, which is intriguing to begin with, and then it starts <laughs> to get a bit boring for folk like us who are perhaps a little more laissez-faire. And I remember commentating on the on the the closing ceremony. I knew this was going to happen because we we get to see the rehearsal the day before and we get the script uh, in front of us so we can sound vaguely intelligent on what we're seeing. Um, <laughs> but that little sequence when London had 10 minutes to showcase what London was going to be about. Um, and you have to bear in mind that we'd had, we'd had three, four weeks in China, which was a lot of fun, but came with, came with certain things. And this London double-decker bus, this route master, is driving around the track. And I know what's going to happen. And I'm struggling to contain my emotion because I know that out of the top of the London bus will rise Jimmy Page. Yeah. Um, and he's about to go into the into the whole lot of love riff, and the Leona Lewis will come out, and and that image, that moment, that sound contrasted with a little bit of the greyness that we'd had in the three weeks previously. I was in yeah. tears because I was think I was because I was thinking of of folk in their cars back home listening, and this was London, and we'd been away from home for a long time, but all of a sudden yeah. you're hearing Jimmy Page doing a whole lot of love and that that yeah that that that's got the hairs from the back of my neck going again yeah same here i think um that's an interesting one you know there was a couple of a couple of ones you could have picked and that that one's particularly special i think the, the olympics is just a, a stage a platform as an athlete that everyone would dream of 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 participating in and i suppose particularly current with the postponement of the, the Olympics going forward um, for some of the Rugby Sevens guys, particularly frustrating and putting them in a relatively difficult position. But I suppose let's let's jump back to the rugby and and in the build-up to the final few questions, Nick, I, we discussed it earlier and I discussed it. And for anyone who hasn't seen it, I would encourage you to jump across to, to Nick Mullins' Twitter. It's at, uh, at Nick Mullins. And I want to discuss the the writing and the prep that goes into to the you actually standing in you know the potting shed as you describe it in six ways or the many different names i'm sure you have for the different uh, commentating spots but the way you write out the, the team sheets the way you write out the notes what sort of preparation goes into that what sort of what sort of little targets do you try and write because i really like whenever something happens like a try is scored or there's a sin binning and then a commentator or a broadcaster whatever word you'd like to use they drop a little bit of information and they just drop it in there, and it makes the whole scene, thing seem more authentic and more in, informative. Yeah. I love this, this concept that you write it out. What, is it how many days in preparation? What sort of things do you pick? Um, who, who did you steal the idea off, or did it just come naturally? Oh, no, well, the idea, the idea is Bill's. Um, although he, okay. would, he would have, I'd work off an A4 sheet. Bill yeah. had A3. I think oh, wow. that's what it's called, isn't it? The twice yeah. the size. And he would say when yeah. he saw <laughs> it was it was it was kind of like a shower moment when he when he saw my uh, mm-hmm. uh, attempt at recreating his commentary sheet once. He said that won't be big enough, laddie. Uh, but, but Bill <laughs> Bill had the benefit of of broadcasting luxury because very often the the positions he was in allowed him certainly at Murrayfield to spread out mm-hmm. in the potting shed at Worcester. We we don't have we don't have that luxury, no. so it has to be a single sheet of A4. On my sheet of A4, I want everything that I will need um, for 80 minutes worth of broadcasting. Um, and, and my job, I, I, I see it, is, is to be the kind of frame maker, really. We're all storytellers, but I'm the, I'm the narrator. So if you see me as the narrator, um, it's, it's my job to set the scene 
and, and to make sure that we've not missed any storylines, we've not missed anything that would make your experience of watching this over the next two hours uh, more intriguing. You need to you need to know as a as a viewer who's been doing a proper job during the week why this matters. So I I spend my week working out why this matters, and part of that process is going to training sessions, watching previous matches. We've got a brilliant statistician called Ross Hamilton who draws all these things together for us. Adrian Hill who comes up with wonderful lines for us. We've got a whole team behind us at BT Sport. This is very little of my work, but but I I kind of filter stacks of information that we get. Actually, Ross, our statistician, used to work for Saracens and still plays rugby himself. And oh, I'll wow. very often show I'll show you I'll show you what he does actually. He 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 pretty much recreates what you would get in terms of the stats ahead of ahead of your game because that's what we want to be we don't want to be worrying about i'm not interested in what school you went to as commentators of previous generations might have been because i don't think that's relevant to how you're going to perform that afternoon i'd much rather know uh whether in an in an attacking sense you're more likely to go to the front middle back of a line out because that that's a bit more informative um, I agree. so on my on my piece of paper it's essentially just the picture frame and i set i set up it's my job in the first five ten minutes of a match to create the canvas that ben and austin as an example can then add the color to that's that's what it is it's each match has its own special feel it doesn't matter whether you, you know we're doing 80 odd commentaries in the premiership a season but every one of those 80 commentaries has its has its own special nuance its own story its own reason why we as viewers should invest two hours of our time sitting down watching it so so that's that's what it's about and it's it's just about what we've talked about it's it's you know i was taken by barnsey a couple of weeks ago talking about relationships and talking to coaches and talking to guys like you and talking to our statisticians and our producers at bt it's distilling everything that matters about the match onto one single sheet of a4 backed by a bit of cardboard that i can have in the commentary box as a as a little um, crutch really yeah i think it's brilliant i think it's great i, I love whenever you put them up because i i kind of zoom in and try and see what you've written on certain guys and the, <laughs> the one that really sticks I, I do i find it really interesting because it's an insight into your process of what you're going to try and suggest on that day and you know the one on lamy uh, in that gloucester leicester game so interesting because i played with lamy at worcester and so yeah. unbelievably talented but he you know at this at this stage in in time you know 21 next week, one of the finds of the season. And it's just a little insight back into that, that, that moment, which I think is brilliant. So yeah, I suppose yeah. off the back, you know, the, the BT crew that you, you work with heavily now, you know, there's some huge names in there, some really, really good work that you guys do. I'm interested to know, though, you know, some of the names like Lawrence Alalio, Brian O'Driscoll, Austin Healy, Ben Kay, Ugo Manu, former players, really, really good. And then obviously Sarah and Craig and Martin and Flats and, and Alistair. And apologies if I've left any, but that was just off the top of my head. Yeah, um, so I think I'm interested to know what the dynamics like with with you guys because the fun that you have I can only imagine because at the end of the day a lot of those guys are ex-players and you're part of almost like a small mini team and it's similar it relates back to what Wayne said you know the referees form their own little team you've got one team playing another team and then the commentary is a team in itself so in that aspect, I'm interested to know, do you guys turn up with your game faces on? Are you allowed to go for a drink the night before? Do you travel together? I mean, the actual environment that you guys create seems like a lot of fun. Is that fair? Yeah, we all like each other. I think I think yeah. because it's such a small team, it's not quite the same as a, as a squad of rugby players because I'm sure within a squad of rugby players, there are some people that you like more than most. But I don't think that would work 
it, 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 uh, and the names that you've mentioned are pretty much our, our our core team. So we all, you know, we all get on with each other. We're we're, we're having a um, a Zoom quiz night in a couple of nights' time. Right. You know, we're we're, we're, we're missing each other. You know, we're talking yeah. to each other other every day to to to, to check that we're we're okay. I, I think you have to feel comfortable in each other's company. And and if you if we feel comfortable as a broadcasting team, then hopefully you feel comfortable with us at home broadcasting is about making the viewer feel comfortable when you're working in a really unnatural environment when you're surrounded by wires and lenses and headphones and a million voices in your head uh, mm. and you're trying to keep in touch with what's happening on a rugby pitch as well in the middle of all that you have to be reasonable company part of the process i think of being reasonable company is to be amongst people that you you like and you and you have fun with we, we we don't travel together much to games for a number of reasons we're often we're often coming from different directions sarah lives yeah. in in cardiff uh flats lives in bath Hugo lives in actually you go you go and lol uh, and me will sometimes go to games together um i'm terrible company after a match i i i, I, I flat just because i'm just exhausted yeah i'm not I, one of the things I would love to do more is, is, and again, listening to Barnsley a couple of weeks ago, I'd love to go into the bar and, and have a chat with you guys afterwards and have a chat with the referees and talk with the fans. I can't speak. Mm. I'm, I, I just want to get in my car, and go um, put, on, put, on, put on some Kylie and, and, and go home. <laughs> you know, or some I, classical. I, or some classical, yeah. I mean, I'm, 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 I'm not good company after the match. You know, I, I've, yeah. I've put everything that I have that day into the commentary. So, um, so yeah, we don't, we don't, we don't travel together much on on Premiership games, and we have a dining bus. You must come into the dining bus one day. Actually. I've you seen know, it. It's know. in the car park normally. You, you, you've never done a game for us. Uh, no, I haven't done a game. I, I, would, I would love to, but I, I have seen a dining bus. Well, normally when you're playing, you park in that car park. If not, you park yeah. across the road. But I have seen it, and I've seen a few of the boys kind of queuing up to get their, I don't know, sausage and mash or. Whatever oh yeah, we're good, good, good Tucker. You need to come onto the dining bus. The, the dining bus is if you could if you could publish the stories that are told on the dining bus, it would be a bestseller. I can uh, you know that's I'm that's wearing kind a wire next time I come in. Yeah, yeah, but we we'll, we'll get when 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 this thing's over and we're starting to enjoy rugby, then we'll, we'll get you back on. But that's Thank where you. we that's our kind of common room. That's where we catch up on the week's gossip, and then we have half an hour talking about the match and how we're going to we're going to deal with it. But, yeah, no, we're uh, we, we we you know we love each other's company, and I'm really missing them at the moment. I'm sure you are. I'm sure you are. You you touched on something really interesting there, which I'd actually forgotten about, and I'm annoyed at myself because when I and again, it sounds like I'm plugging your Twitter, Nick, but there is genuinely loads of really good info in there if you want an insight into that world. But one of the things you put up, and I remember I tweeted you off the back of it, was uh, an example of what you hear and yes. then your ability to actually speak. And I, I remember me and Ethan Waller, one of the lads who also uh, tweeted you back or, or off the back of my tweet, I could not, I couldn't hear the two voices separate and never mind hearing them and then being able to speak. Can you give the people on the podcast an, an idea of what you're hearing in your ears and then how your processes work towards actually making some sort of coherent word? Yes, uh, it, it depends on on at what point in the program we are we're sometimes hearing more voices than 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 other times but at the point where craig will throw to us in mm -hmm. the commentary box um we have several feeds so at any one time i'm hearing 
the director, the match director, and these are all in the truck in the car park. So the match yeah. director, his PA, um, often Sarah, um, the producer, Adrian, our statistician. So they're the four voices that we're hearing in the truck, along with the TMO, who also sits behind the director in the truck. So they're five voices coming from the truck in the car park. Um, and then we've got the referee's voice, clearly the two voices of your summarizers. Yeah. And I think that's about it. That's, so that's eight, eight voices. Uh, and then when, you, when you're talking to coaches mid-match, you're suddenly temporarily adding, adding yeah. a ninth. But what, what, what I do is headphones. We, we can cleverly split feeds into one ear and oh, the okay. other. So all the production talk back, so stuff coming from the truck, I put in my let. I have to. It's been such a long time since I did. I have to remember. <laughs> You're gonna need to get packs into, in here. Yeah, I do. I do. When you get back, I know. I know. I need to do more of those kitchen table commentaries. <laughs> so all of that goes into the left ear, and all of the match-specific stuff goes into the right ear. So the referee, TMO, um, and then the program. So Ben and Austin or whoever it is, and the and the effects is just kind of in 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 my head totally. Mm. And then I can turn the the volume down on each of them. So they have a sliding scale of importance. So I need to hear the director because he's telling me where the, where the shots are coming. But everybody else, I can just tip down a little bit. But it's, it, it sounds much more, I'm building this up into something superhuman. It isn't. No, it is. It's it, like, uh, I it's would not. encourage anyone who listens, who, who, who's listening to this, go and find the video on, on Nick's Twitter because it, it genuinely gave me a headache after about 30 seconds. But what I, what I would say to you, and I think we all do this, I would just put you in a pub um, my wife, Melissa, goes bananas at me because I'm always doing this in the pub as well. I've always got my headphones on in the pub, metaphorically, because I'm often listening to the conversation on the next ah, table okay. rather than the one. But when, when you're in a pub, next time we're fortunate enough to be allowed into a pub, in a busy pub, you're aware of lots of conversations mm. going on and you're sometimes picking up bits and pieces, but it's not impacting on the conversation you're having. And that's, that's really... But you're always that. conscious that your wife is the director and it's the most important one to listen to. As long as she's the most important voice, <laughs> she needs she needs to have good chat. She knows when her chat's beginning to drop off a little bit because yeah, you're, dr you're sliding the scale down. Yeah, yeah, she she starts to get turned down a little bit. That's amazing. <laughs> That's amazing. Well, yeah, I just thought that was really really cool. So, um, yeah, go and have a listen to it if if you're listening to this. And I suppose uh, to summarize and start to round off, what what's the plan going forward, Nick? What's the what's the plan for you guys? We know that there's a bit of uncertainty around. Um, rugby picking back up when and, and in what capacity but how do you perceive the current state of rugby with the good discussions around the finances and I suppose you know I'm sure you're desperate to just get back on and yeah, narrating yeah. on well, sport it, never mind just rugby yeah well, I think I think you know clearly we're all we're all wondering at the moment when we're going to get back into it we're hearing I'm not sure what you're what you're hearing as a player but you know certainly us as broadcasters there are two things uh, you know BT want to be broadcasting rugby again as quickly as possible because I think you know we all want to be watching live sport again but it yeah. has to be safe um you know and I you know refer a little bit earlier I suspect I picked up the virus from being at a rugby ground because yeah. inevitably you know that's that's a, a high chance so so it needs to be absolutely safe uh, we're, we're hearing and I don't know whether you're hearing the same that, that there's a real keenness um amongst the authorities to get us to get us back underway by the end of June, maybe even early July. I don't know whether we'll look back on this chat we're having now in three <laughs> months' time and go, what were they thinking? How absurd yeah. was that? But yeah, certainly that's, talk. that's current thinking, isn't it? And whether I, I've also um, 
you know part of part of our chat on on the on the WhatsApp group has has been about whether they play every single remaining game at Twickenham um, to have us all in the same place. You boys would stay in the Marriott Hotel just outside. We as broadcasters just have to set up one ground. We're not traveling around the country, yeah. it, probably behind closed doors. But we literally play, what, two games a day? Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. And, and we just play the season almost in a month um, mm. with the two semifinals, certainly at Twickenham, and then the final at Twickenham. This might all be nonsense, and we, we might not get to see any more rugby this season. But I think, I think that's certainly how current thinking is. What, what are you hearing? Yes, similar, Nick. I think um, obviously there's, there's plans being put in place, and I think as rugby players, we're delighted that just there's a plan, even if the plan doesn't quite come to fruition. I think there's a there's an aim to target that kind of end of June, start of July. Obviously, the the safety is is the absolute most paramount issue, but you know the concept of playing them all in the same ground, obviously behind closed doors, and the ability for BT to kind of pump out multiple rugby games, live rugby games at a time whenever everybody's craving rugby. Like my brother said to me, like I don't know about you, but like. I would watch Niall play two games in a day if it meant there was just live sport and I was going, listen, I ain't playing two games in a day. No way the body's hacking that. But Could you play two games in a week? What's your your capability, do you think, as professionals? I think it's tough. I think the... And I'm being really, really, really honest with you. Clubs are going to have to use their squads. They're going to have to massively call on the full strength of their squads. And some of the smaller squads might struggle. You know, squads traditionally like Sale who don't carry... A lot of players, they invest very heavily in their 30 to 40. I don't know the exact number. That's the perception anyway. They'll have a fantastic academy anyway, so they'll not be struggling. But I think, you know, if I play a game on a Saturday, Nick, Sunday's a write-off. Monday, I'm trying to get moving. Tuesday, I'm doing a lot of contact and a lot of preparation for the next game. But it's probably Wednesday by the time I feel anywhere above 80 to 85%. Well, yeah. relative to you know going into a game, never at 100. But I think the, the two games a week will be really interesting because clubs will have to be quite clever and, and uh, I suppose, to some degree, just intelligent about how they use their squads. I agree. I think there's a lot for the sport to think about in the meantime. Um, and I think, I, think, I think we'll see a slightly reshaped sport. I think the finances have, have been put under particular scrutiny during this period. I mean, I think we all know that, that at the moment it's a sport paying more money than it has and i think yeah. so many aspects of it will will have to be looked at and we again in 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 the in the desire to take positive from from awful situations if the sport in 10 years time is stronger more financially viable than it is now when 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 clubs are certainly more secure than they are now then yeah. then that would be a good thing yeah, I totally agree. I totally agree. Well, I think, you know, just off the, off the back of the chat, uh, you know, I, I really appreciate you coming on. I know we're all desperate just to keep in contact with each other. And I've really, really enjoyed you coming on. Some of the insight for me personally, someone who's interested in, in the media world. And like I said, I, I love getting the insight into your Twitter page and stuff. I think Do you fancy really... doing that? Is that? Are you looking at that as a, as a long-term thing, do you think? Uh, I think, listen... I, I'm really interested in coaching. I have a real passion for coaching. What I'm very aware of is having known a lot of people who've left rugby, maybe not enjoying rugby to the same degree. I want to make sure I have options. And I suppose this podcasting is just me dipping my Irish sunburnt toes into a, <laughs> a world where I can experience and, and, and selfishly just get to engage with people who like yeah, you. It's and, great. I mean, it's great. we released an episode, we're recording on Thursday morning, we released an episode this morning um, off the back of a chat I had on 
Monday with John Smith. And like in no world would I have had the opportunity to engage with him. I stole, I stole loads from that conversation, probably more than he did. So it's very much a toe dipping exercise. I think maybe the radio work slash broadcasting is something I'm really interested in, but I know it's very difficult to get into. It's just, it's good fun. Yeah. You'll be great at it. You, you, yeah. You've got another 20 years worth of playing ahead of you, but you'd be, you'd be great at it. Don't tell my wife that. But yeah, listen, Nick, a huge thank you. I really appreciate you coming on and wishing you and your family all the best in this time and, and hopefully you guys stay nice and safe. Yeah, likewise, Now, Great nattering. Thank you. A big, big thank you to Nick for coming on. Really enjoyable insight and great to chat. As always, keep an eye out on social media for ways to enter the free giveaway from Whelan's Yard. Cheers.